It's back to the future with the return of a national party policy of years gone by. So what is social investment and does it work? For that and everything else worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you listen to podcasts. Just a quick warning, this episode of The Long Read contains strong language. We advise discretion. Hi, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is called Convicted Killer Insists He Was Framed. It's by Stuff's national correspondent Tony Wall who tracked down Mark Pakenham, the man who admitted in court that he killed Sarah Neath, but now denies he ever actually did it. Hi, Tony. How did you actually find Mark Pakenham? Hi. Um, yeah, so I had a bit of a lead or a clue that he was living in the far north in a remote, remote uh, community on a houseboat. Um, and so we uh, went off in search of, of him. And sure enough, yeah, it's exactly where he was living, on a launch in the middle of a very small bay in the far north. So you've done a few stories on the search for Sarah. What is it about this story which just keeps you going back? Well, it's a very u- unusual and unique case um, where, where a guy has been convicted, done his prison time, um, but the body's never been found and he's refusing to say where it was. Just um, Well, now he's even refusing. He tries to claim he was, wasn't even involved. So he's gone back on his original story. It's a crazy story. It's all over the place and just quite fascinating. Thanks for those details, Tony. Now here's John O'Williams reading Tony's story. A dinghy makes its way towards shore at a remote bay in the far north. Hauling on the oars is a man who looks like an extra from a pirate movie. A mat of ginger dreadlocks wrapped in a t-shirt. Tattoos on his arms and neck. Potbelly protruding from a black singlet. He's rowed from his launch, which is moored a few hundred metres out. He ties the dinghy to a wharf and lugs the oars towards a mate's car. His own beat-up truck is parked next to it. This is Mark Edward Packenham, 61 years old. Pig farmer turned man of the sea, self-confessed liar, and convicted killer. Stuff tracked Packenham down following a large private search in February for his former girlfriend, Sarah Neath, who disappeared from his Hauraki property in 2003. It's the first time he's spoken to media since his arrest in 2011. In 2013, facing a charge of murdering Neath, Pakenham reached a deal with the Crown, where he instead pleaded guilty to manslaughter. He admitted injecting her with methamphetamine, with her permission, and accidentally killing her. Devastatingly for her family, he claimed he was too intoxicated to remember what he did with her car and her body. And to this day, neither have been found. At a parole board hearing in 2014, it was revealed Pakenham had told a psychologist he invented the account of injecting Neath with drugs because he would otherwise be found guilty of murder. He claimed someone in the criminal world had murdered her. Despite admitting he'd lied and refusing to help police locate Neath's body, Pakenham was released on parole in 2016 after serving about five years of a six-year, seven-month sentence. 
When Stuff caught up with him, he continued to insist he had nothing to do with her death. He claims Neath left his place around midnight on March 30, 2003, after an argument, and that's the last he saw of her. I didn't f- touch her, he says. I just fabricated up a story, and the Attorney General dropped it down to manslaughter. I had to plead guilty to get off a murder rap. It's typical Pakenham. When Neath first went missing, he told police and media he had no idea what had happened to her. That he loved her and he missed her. For six years, he stuck to that story while police treated it as a missing person case. Then, in 2009, a friend came forward, offering to meet with Pakenham wearing a wire. He was recorded describing how he'd shot her up full of shit. He said Neath had never been blasted before and that it f***ed her up. He said Neath started squirming and it wasn't a nice way to go. He also indicated he knew where her body was. But Pakenham now claims he was framed. He says there'd been sightings of Neath in the days after she disappeared, so he could have pleaded not guilty to murder, but decided to fabricate a story and plea to a reduced charge. You've got to weigh up six or seven years as opposed to 25. I thought, f*** it, I'd rather be out having a life than die in jail for something I didn't do, he says. The deal with the Crown was negotiated by his lawyer, Paul Maybe KC, now a district court judge. To understand what led to the plea deal, Stuff asked Crown Law, under the Official Information Act, for all material it holds on the decision to reduce the charge. Crown Law said the information is legally privileged and outside the scope of the OIA. It said Pakenham has made many contradictory statements and it has no comment about his latest claims. Pakenham doesn't expect anyone to believe him, saying, I've got a checkered past, I make no bones about it, but all I ever did was help that girl. I took her kids to pony club, swimming. He's heard that retired cop Bruce Curry has reopened the case, and there is a renewed effort to find Neath's body. He says he's fine with that. All I've got to do is remember the lie I fabricated, and that's hard to do, he tells us. Pakenham is worried he could be arrested for murder if the body is found and there is evidence of foul play. He says, I just hope, if they do find her, that she's intact. If she'd been dismembered, they'll come up with a charge saying it was brutal the way she was murdered and it wasn't a drug overdose. I hope they find her for closure for the family. Either way, I'm going to look like a f***ing asshole. Bruce Curry says the jury is out on whether Pakenham could be charged with murder. He says, police seem to think yes, but double jeopardy may come into play. The retired cop says he struggled to get information out of police during his three years digging into the case. My gut feeling is that the police have no interest in pursuing him or finding the body, which is really hard on the family, he says. Police reject that, saying they have continued to follow up on information even after Pakenham's conviction and have spent considerable time and effort trying to find Neath's body. Detective Inspector Graham Pitkethley, manager of criminal investigations for Waikato, says one person knows where she is. Pakenham. But he has chosen not to share the location with police or with Neath's family. 
Should he wish to unburden himself further of his guilt, police would be pleased to discuss this with him, we're told. Neath's son, Dion Chamberlain, says Pakenham can't be trusted to tell the truth about anything. You never know what's true. We've resigned ourselves to never believing anything that comes out of his mouth, he says. Even if he told us where the body is, you'd have to take it with a grain of salt. Pakenham claims to have sympathy for Dion and for Neath's other children, Danielle and Simone. I admitted to killing their mother for f**k's sake. It's a horrible situation. I can only imagine how they feel, he says. But what can I do? I can't tell them where the body is because, I don't know, I didn't do it. He claims to know who did kill her, but says, I'm not going to put suspicion on someone if I can't prove it. Pakenham claims that years ago, he was driving on the motorway in Auckland, looked at the car next to him, and saw Neath smiling back. He says, I live my whole life wondering where she is. I think about it every day and will do for the rest of my life. I used to go to church and pray for that girl. Her friends tarred me as being a drug addict stalking her. She was a brilliant mum. She loved her kids. But she was also a rat bag, he says. He tells us that before he was arrested, police were hiding in trees, watching him. And he gives us an example. I killed a sheep and buried it. Ten minutes later, they were digging up the bones. They looked everywhere for a body, he says, even checking offal holes on farms he'd worked on, but says, it took ages for them to even look in my garage. They were clowns, the whole lot of them. Until recently, Pakenham ran a pig farm in Northland, but is now semi-retired and living on his launch. He claims to have quit drugs and says he made his money from hard work. He had a partner who died of cancer and says, I don't have relationships now, they're toxic for me. He spends most of his time fishing with the odd trip ashore for supplies. If the renewed publicity leads to more visitors, he claims to have another mooring and we quote, where they'll never find me. He says, I live a life of pure bliss. I go fishing every day. I've got plenty of money. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> As Cyclone Gabrielle bears down on New Zealand, an eclectic group of people gather at a small community hall in the Hauraki district near Ngātia. There are retired homicide cops, firefighters, Search and rescue experts, local farmers, 
They're all meeting at the Kaihere Hall for one reason, to find Sarah Neath. Also present are her three children, as well as her ex-husband, another former partner, her best friend from high school and the grandchildren that she never met. As they wait for a briefing, searches pour over maps pinned to the walls, as well as photographs of the clothes Neath was wearing the day she went missing, and the green Honda Civic she was driving. Bruce Curry, the retired cop turned private investigator who goes by Mr Tracer because he specialises in finding people, addresses the room. In the late 90s, he was in charge of police homicide investigations for the whole region, he explains. He then became a private eye, working for the defence. He followed the Neath case in the media and says, It always intrigued me. I'd be driving up State Highway 27 and wondering, what happened to that poor woman? I thought, maybe one day I'd approach the family and give them the opportunity to have the matter reopened, he says. Neath's children were trying to move on and weren't thrilled to hear from Curry. Dion Chamberlain, who was 12 when his mum vanished, says getting a message out of the blue on Facebook was confusing. I didn't really know what to think, he told Stuff a couple of weeks before the search, saying he asked himself, what's this guy's motive? Is he just a kook? But Dion goes on. He's an extremely genuine dude. He sees there's been an injustice and he wants to rectify it for no other reason than he believes it's the right thing to do. Neath's youngest, Simone Neath, herself now a mother of two, says it's brought up a lot of horrible memories. She was just eight when her mum disappeared. She says, I kind of lock it away, just push it to the side and try to get on with my own life. But when it's in your face again, it brings up all the memories, all the lost feelings. I told everyone, I'm not involved, I'm not doing any of it. So, what made her change her mind? Guilt, she says. I felt like if I was missing, I would want my family to still look for me. We were too young at the time, but it's not an excuse now to just pretend she doesn't exist. Dion isn't holding much hope of finding his mum. Honestly, the likelihood, in my personal opinion, it's not high, he says. It's 20 years down the track. Even if we knew the car was in that area, it's a very difficult area to search. Search organiser Curry gives the assembled volunteers, some of whom are new to the case, some who searched back in 2003, a bit of a potted history. In mid to late 2002, Neith and her kids moved to her mother Eileen Marbeck's place at Kirapehi, and she'd just formed a relationship with Pakenham. On the day she disappeared, she drove to his property, just down the road from where they're now gathered, with a bottle of bourbon and her cigarettes. She didn't come home that night. At about 5.30pm on the Monday, Pakenham turned up at her house, and he had with him her lifelines, her phone, her cigarettes, her lighter, and a pair of sunglasses, Curry says. He told Sarah's daughter that mum had left those items at his place. That's the only conversation he had with anyone at the house. He then jumped in his car and headed off. When she still hadn't turned up the following day, Neath's mother reported her missing and a major search began. It focused on the 16 k's between Pakenham's house and Neath's place at Kirapehi. Curry says they used the Eagle helicopter through the whole Hauraki Basin 
They used a police dive squad to check out the canals and rivers, and they did a massive foot search using search and rescue people. He summarises, It was all based on what Pakenham had told the police. We know that was all lies. According to Curry's research, Pakenham used to tell people he knew a place where he could hide a body and it would never be found. Curry explains, That hiding place is somewhere around here and we believe our job is to work out where. The international research tells us that in situations like this, the offender dumps the body in an area familiar to him. In this case, Pakenham was familiar with an area of Ohinawai Road. Just past the Kaiheri Hall, Ohinawai Road branches off State Highway 27 towards Huntley. Much of the road is metal. Curry says there are a lot of steep drops where a vehicle could be pushed over and disappear forever. Between 1999 and 2002, Pakenham would visit a farm where he had permission to collect firewood to sell. He knew the farm like the back of his hand, Curry says, but the area was never searched at the time. The search leader, Kip Mandano of Lansar, warns that the search will be very, very difficult. A sobering fact is that one square kilometre represents one million square metres, he says. But then explains, a human body in good condition is roughly a square metre. So, that's a one in a million chance. While the search teams, including about 40 Landsar personnel, go bush, some volunteer firefighters prepare to drain a pond on the farm Pakenham used to visit. They set up a pump and begin draining the water into a nearby stream. It'll take most of the day. Further up the road, a search team is about to head into an area that used to be a quarry. One of the searchers is Conrad Leonard, partner of Neith's daughter, Danielle. He says, it's obviously close to home for me. Our children, that's their grandma we're trying to find. They're of the age now where they're asking, what happened? I don't know what you say to that. He says, everything has become raw and fresh again for Danielle, and she's having trouble sleeping. Leonard is a forestry worker and hunter, and knows his way around the bush. Could a car have been concealed here for 20 years? He answers, yep, especially when everything grows and changes. We logged a forestry block once and found a car in there. You wouldn't have known it was there until we pulled all the trees away. Back at the Kaiheri Hall, Simone and Daniel have found some of Curry's ring binders, full of documents on the case. And they're going over the statements Pakenham gave police in the days after their mother disappeared. It's the first time they've read any of it. It's surreal hearing Simone read out the words of her mother's convicted killer. She was pissed when she left here. I didn't notice any injuries on her. I've been racking my brains as to what happened to her. And then this text to Neith the day after she disappeared. Have never seen you like that, bub. Hells, bells, hope you're okay. Dropped your stuff off. Please text me today, crazy bird. Love, Mark. Simone says Pakenham is a pretty terrible person. She says, if he overdosed her, he could have just said where she was and we wouldn't have had to wait for our mum to come home for 20 years. A woman in a Bob Marley t-shirt wanders up. This is Rachel Maines, 
Neith's best friend since they were at Auckland's Pakaranga College. She met Pakenham once when he came to her house with Neith. She says, all I remember thinking is, my God, he's big compared to her. When Neith's brother rang to say she hadn't come home, Rachel says, I put the phone down and said, my friend's dead. We all knew from day one that it was Pakenham. She describes him as an oxygen thief, saying he should never have been allowed out until he said where she was. She thinks there should be a Sarah's law. No body, no parole. Out in the field, the searchers are not having much luck. One team has found a bag of clothes buried under a tree, but it doesn't match what Neath was wearing. We've got a few cuts and bruises and wasp stings, one says. It's pretty hectic down there, a lot of supplejack, steep country and it's pretty hard going. Another says finding a car feels like an almost impossible task. If you've had a slip come down, you could be standing on the car and you'd never know, they say. Bruce Curry tells the team that Pakenham would have known that. He was driving up and down this road, taking firewood to Huntley with his little truck, he says. He's bragging to people about knowing a place where a body could be concealed, and we're better than somewhere like this. He says there have been some interesting finds on the farm Pakenham used to work on, including an old van that Pakenham helped a mate dispose of after Neath disappeared. It was placed in a stream with dirt on top and used as a bridge. Curry is excited that they found it because it corroborates that Pakenham was disposing of wrecks on the property. He says, it's just a small thing, but it's handy. Late in the afternoon, the firefighters have almost finished draining the pond. A small group of Neath's friends and family have gathered, and the anticipation mounts as the last of the water drains away. But it's a red herring. There's nothing there but a few eels flopping in the mud. By the following day, as Cyclone Gabriel hits, it's full of water again. Back at the hall, there's a debrief. Curry says it's been a good day because many areas that weren't searched 20 years ago can now be ruled out. There's already been a commitment from search and rescue and police teams to come back with ropes to search difficult to reach areas as a training exercise. Curry says, there's still more to be done. We're not just gonna drop it and move on. This isn't the end of the journey. This is the start of the journey. That was Convicted Killer insists he was framed on the long read from Stuff, written by Tony Wall, read and produced by Jono Williams. This episode was edited by John Ropiha. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and review. It really does help other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. If you liked listening to this pod, Help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support.